Welcome to KCR Features, where you can hear what the locals are up to. Hello there, I'm Candy Anderson from Kaima Community Radio, and today I'm chatting with Nadia Wheatley, an Australian writer whose work includes picture books, novels, biography and history. I've only just read her biography for the first time and I'm astounded by the extent and range of Nadia's published writings. The reason I'm chatting with her today, however, is due firstly to her status as the definitive biographer of Kaima-born writer Charmaine Clift and secondly to her involvement in organising a series of events to commemorate the centenary of Charmian's birth in Kaima in 1923. Let's focus briefly on my first reason for chatting with Nadia, her biography of Charmian entitled The Life and Myth of Charmian Clift, which was published in 2001 and was the age non-fiction book of that year. In 2002, it won the New South Wales Premier's Award for Australian History. It has also been described as one of Australia's greatest Australian biographies by critic Peter Craven. Nadia's most recent work in relation to Charmian Clift, and one I have actually read, is her editing and compilation of selected essays of Charmian entitled Sneaky Little Revolutions. This was published in 2022 and is a selection of essays Charmian wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald and the Melbourne Herald between 1965 and 1969, the year of her untimely death. Now, moving on to the second reason, Nadia Wheatley and Carolyn Baum have been busy organising a series of events and activities to commemorate Charmian Cliff's centenary year of 2023, and I was fortunate enough to be part of the most recent event on Sunday the 22nd of October, a walk and picnic at Bombo Beach in Charmian's birthplace and my own hometown of Kayama for the last 20 years. Now, let's hear from Nadia Wheatley herself. Nadia, welcome to Kaimba Community Radio, and thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Can you tell us how and why you've devoted a big chunk of your life to researching and telling Charmian's story? Well, it came about a little bit by accident. Back in the wonderful decade of the 60s and 70s, I fell in love with Martin Johnston, who was Charmian's elder son. We lived together for a number of years, both here in Australia and in Greece. And at that time, I had no idea of writing a biography of Martin's mother. I was writing myself. I had plenty of my own projects to do. But it was later, um, around about 1980, when Martin asked me to write a biography of his mother. Somewhat reluctantly, I took up the project. I'm trained as a historian as well as being a writer of fiction, um, but it seemed an immense project and, in fact, it took 20 years of my life and there were many times when I wanted to throw it out the window. But every time Martin said, oh, Nard, and I would persevere with it. It's an amazing volume of work. I have to admit I've started it, but I haven't read all of it. Uh, Nadia, this year is the centenary of Charmian's birth here in Kaima in 1923, and you, together with Carolyn Baum and other Charmian fans, or Clifties, as they've now become known, have organised a whole series of events to commemorate Charmian's life and writings. One of these events was the walk and picnic last weekend, which I was fortunate enough to be part of. What made you come up with the idea of a walk and picnic in Kaima, and specifically at Bombo Beach? 
Well, I actually love Kiama separate from my love for Charmian Clift. I had a godmother called Bertha Knight, who was the matron of Kiama Hospital for 27 years. And I used to spend time with her staying in Cathedral Rocks Avenue. And subsequently, she moved into the retirement village opposite the big supermarket. And I visited her a lot there. I used to stay in what was then the motel on Bombo Beach, always spent Christmas at Kiama. So for me, studying Charmian in Kiama and exploring Kiama with my painter partner, who's done a lot of paintings of Kiama, all went together. So it was terrific when actually Caroline, who also lives on the South Coast, came up with the idea of a picnic and walk. And maybe without her, I wouldn't have had the idea because it's pretty daunting and it took a lot of organising, but it was terrific to go to the places that I remember. And, of course, I remember when the highway went down what is now Hoddersill Street in front of Charmian's house. I remember it as it was when Charmian lived there. I wasn't around in 1923 when Charmian was born, not quite, um, but I do remember the old way that North Kiama Bombo was set out with the creek and the beach and the railway line and the highway. Yes, as I'm jumping forward a bit here, as a local resident here at Bombo for nearly 20 years, I was particularly interested to finally have identified for me the two childhood homes of the Clift family in Hubbersall Street. Do you know if either or both these homes are heritage listed by Kaima Council? And if not, are there any plans to move in that direction? Well, you would have to ask Kaima Council about that. But when I first went down there, I had read a typescript by Charmian about 20,000 words. That's you know, probably about 50 pages or so of an unfinished autobiographical novel in which she described growing up there, her childhood. And I'd talked to Charmian's sister, Margaret Backhouse. So this is back in 1980, 1981, and I'd identified the places. Then I came down and stayed um, in that January of 1981 and found the two cottages in that area that's now Hothersall Street, um, which was then still the highway. So at that time, the cottage, which is now number one Hothersall Street, was as it was in Charmian's day, which was only a single storey, like the one that's next door to it. Now it has a second storey on top. But the other cottage, which is a bit further up on the other side of the road, um, which had the name in those days of Hilldrop, um, pretty much looks today as it did in Charmian's time. So when Charmian was 14, the family left the first cottage and moved up the road and to her mortification they did it on foot so that all the family's old furniture was exposed to the neighbours as they did it. So that second cottage is pretty much as it was. However, the veranda has been closed in there and that cottage is very, very important um, in terms of literary history, Australian literary history, because it was sitting on that open veranda that Charmian and George, but mostly Charmian, wrote the award-winning novel High Valley, which won the Sydney Morning Herald Prize in 1948. And so it was actually there as a young woman that Charmian wrote her first collaborative novel with her to-be husband, George Johnston. Mm. Something interesting, perhaps, to follow up with the council. KCR.org.au Local radio, local people. I'm Candy Anderson, and today I'm chatting with Nadia Wheatley. 
At various points along the walk last Sunday, you and Carolyn read pertinent excerpts from Charmian's wonderfully descriptive writings. Could you read one or two of these excerpts and explain their significance or pertinence? Yes, I'd love to have this opportunity. And for listeners, you've only got to wait until next April until you can read this for yourself because it's going to be in a brand new Charmy and Cliff book, never before published, called The End of the Morning, which was her title for her unfinished autobiographical novel. So New South, the publishers of the essay collections, Naked Little Revolutions, are going to be bringing out as a novella plus some more essays, this wonderful, wonderful work about Kiana. So I'll begin with this passage. I'll abbreviate it down a bit um, about the house, the house that's in what is now called Hothersall Street. And it's Charmian looking at it from the point of view of a young child. The centre of the world was the last house of five identical wooden cottages at the bottom of the hill just before the new concrete bridge that spanned the creek. It was the last house of the town, in fact, because on the other side of the bridge you were in a different municipality and there were no other settlements until you came to the small village of Bombo, a mile or so away over the hills. The house was permeated by the smell of the creek, a richly rotten smell of hot mud and decaying seaweed, which my father belligerently contended would be worth a quid a whiff if some quack could only patent it, and invaded by drifts of fine yellow sand. Only the retaining wall of the railway embankment kept the beach in its place, you felt. But for that, the sand would long ago have reclaimed highway, creek and houses too. You could never forget how close the sea was. Once, after a heavy storm, there had been seaweed draped on the front fence in the morning. Apart from this terrace of quarry cottages, there was not more than a score or so of houses at this end of the town, all variations on the same architectural butterbox theme, their faded iron roofs straggling down beside the plunging swoop of the gunmetal highway. It was obviously the end rather than the beginning of somewhere. Thank you, Nadia. That's particularly evocative. And the name of the, are you allowed to say the name of the book, the the novella that will be published? It's going to to be called The End of the Morning, which was Charmian's title. So although I'm the editor of it, I haven't changed a word and I certainly wouldn't change um, the name of her, her wonderful title. So it is, although unfinished, we have two versions of the typescript, which apart from just a couple of characters' names that she changed so she wouldn't hurt anyone's feelings, um, they are identical. So it is a fully edited manuscript that we have. Nadia, I really enjoyed the opportunity to join you for this walk and picnic and meet up with other Charming Cliff fans. How did you personally feel about the occasion? It was wonderful, like wonderful always to go to Kiama. And although it was a hot day, we had such a fabulous sea breeze. And when I look at the photos, the the colour of the sea and the sky, it is just that Illawarra blue. And blue and gold Illawarra days is what Charmian used to talk about. I only knew, apart from Caroline, my fellow coordinator, I only knew two of the women. So there was one man, one brave man, and 14 women 
And what the wonderful thing about these Clifties, about these Clift fans, is that they are such interesting women. Charmin, in one of her essays, described the women readers of her column. This is back in 1967 or 68. And she said she, until she wrote the column, which came out every week, as you've said, in the Sydney Morning Herald, she didn't realise there was such, I'm quoting, a vast number of intelligent, responsive women with their antennae alert and questing, concerned women, women who appear to be interested in ideas rather than gossip. And you could say that today of the Clifties. They are progressive women. They are feminist women. And they're also just really nice women. So most of them came alone but instantly started chatting to all the others. It was like having a picnic with 15 old friends, although most of us had only met each other on that first occasion. Mm, Absolutely. Now, for Kaima listeners who are not yet familiar with Charmian's writings, what works, novels or essays would you recommend they start with and why? Well, I would actually start with the book that's easiest for you to get, whether from a bookshop or from a library, and that is called Sneaky Little Revolutions, Selected Essays of Charmy and Clift, and it came out as recently as 2022, and it's been so popular, it's gone through two reprints. So it's published by New South, which is a a local Sydney publishing company. And in that, you can hear her voice, and the essays are just four or five pages long so you can get a real flavour of her. You can follow her life over the last five years from 64 to 69. And there's one essay which we might hear a little bit of a little bit later called Youth Revisited in which she talks about visiting Kiama in early 1965. So she'd been out of Australia for 13 years, and as soon as possible she popped down to Kiama and talked to old friends. So that essay is in it. I would also read the travel book, Mermaid Singing. Even though it's set far away on the Greek island of Kalimnos, it is my favourite Clift book, and you can get a real sense of her and her family by reading Mermaid Singing. There is a Kiama novel called Walk to the Paradise Gardens, and that might be a bit of a challenge for some Kayama residents because it is a picture of the town as it was in, let's say, the 1950s, early 50s, somewhat warts and all. And I know that it caused some controversy in the town when it was first published. It's a little bit hard to get. It's published by Ligature, but you can get copies of it. And it does preserve um, almost in aspic a a picture of the town with the dancers at the Odd Fellows Hall and a wonderful um, way of walking around and looking at those um, cathedral rocks. So it's a great picture of the town, even if you don't like all the people in it. Yes. The Kayama Library actually has copies of, I think, most of most of Charming and Cliff's books. Kayama Community Radio. From Jamboree to Foxground. Kayama Downs to Jerichon, Jones Beach to Jeroa, Minamara to Gainsborough. Now streaming at kcr.org.au. I'm Candy Anderson, and today I'm chatting with Nadia Wheatley. Uh, Nadia, can you tell our listeners about any remaining events uh, to commemorate Charmian Centenary? 
like in, in not because we're nearly at the end of the year, and about where they can find more information about either Charmian or yourself and your published writings? Hmm. Well, we'll go to information first. Um, so there's a really good website, if I do say so myself, uh, because I kind of curate it, and its address is www.charmianclift.com.au. And on that you'll find essays about her, you'll find photos of her, photos of recent events, and we have an events column on it that you can keep an eye on. Now, as you've said, we're heading up for the um, silly season and so we've really finished this year's anniversary events. But next April, when we bring out um, the new book, The End of the Morning, there's going to be a series of events. Already we've got um, um, approaches from Manly Library, we've got an approach from the Jesse Street Library, I hope we might have some kind of approach from someone or an organisation down in Kiama um, so that we could have a local event down there, maybe even a book launch down in Kiama. Um, you have local resident Richard Walsh, maybe we could involve him. So it would be terrific to have that sort of Kiama connection when we have that book coming out and maybe if I'm brave enough or um, energetic enough we could even have another walk because now I've got the timings done really well. So there will be a lot of stuff happening um, next April and then in the following April which is 2025 we're looking actually to have a readers and writers workshop on the island of Kalimnos so that's a much bigger event to um, look forward to. So this beginning this birthday is only a beginning and though I'm feeling that I'm happy I'm not going to be around when she turns 200 um, we are going to keep going through 101 and 102. Oh, that's fabulous. Nadia to wrap up uh, is there any final excerpt from Charmian's writings that you'd like to finish up with or even any thoughts about what makes Charmian such a distinctive writer in your opinion? Okay. Well, in terms of her writing, um, the esteemed critic Peter Craven describes her as the greatest essayist this country has known. And he also put her into the same category as the great writers Patrick White and Christina Stead. I don't see it as my job um, to tell people um, how to appreciate Clift or how um, to read her. I see my role as providing lots and lots of information about the biographical writing of the books and to help you get them into a framework. But she is an amazing pro stylist with an amazing voice that is a first-person voice that is absolutely unique and it draws readers in. Her readers in the 60s used to say that when they read the Clift column every Thursday, they felt that she was in their kitchen having a chat with them over the kitchen table and that is the sense of intimacy that I don't know any other writer in the English language, whether in Australia or America or England, who has quite that intimate voice. And she developed it when she was writing the two travel memoirs, Mermaid Singing and Peel Me a Lotus. I think she's a much better non-fiction memoirist travel writer than she is a novelist because I think it's in that first-person voice that she engages to. Having said that, in this particular novel, The Unfinished End of the Morning, she uses that first-person voice and again she engages the reader in that way. But the other reason why she's significant is that returning to Australia in late 64, she was coming back in the five years 
that Australia was in the greatest period of transformation apart from the first years of the colony. She was here at the time when Australia was developing a new identity and she was observing this identity almost as if she was a travel writer or an anthropologist from outside and at the same time she was making the change. She was radicalising the women who were isolated in their homes, married women, housewives who had not been able to break out of that role um, who were the same generation as her. So middle-aged, middle-class housewives became a body of progressive, radicalised readers through the Clift column. So it was an enormous input into the big change we had in this country in 1972 when we had the election of a Labor government after 21 years of Liberal coalition conservative Rule. And so she was a change maker as well as a writer. I'll just, in the last minutes remaining, read a little bit about Kayama because I know you'd love to hear this. So this is when she visited anew in 1965. The town has this curious air of timelessness preserved under the sky as under one of those old-fashioned glass domes which in my childhood still protected such mementos as decorations from wedding cakes, golden keys from 21sts, baby's shoes, bridal wreaths, funeral ribbons and small bullet-dented Bibles that had been worn over soldiers' hearts. From the blue bulk of the mountains to the blue expanse of the Pacific, the hills tumble down, round hills, plotted with fields, veined with old stone walls, fuzzed with lantana and crowned with crests of cabbage palm and umbrellas of Morton Bay fig. Do you remember, my friend said, how we went rabbit shooting on Saturday afternoons? The town is on the sea where the hills end their tumble in purple bluffs that separate casual mile-long sweeps of salmon-pink sand frilled with surf and starred with aloe clumps. Do you remember, they said, racing over the sand dunes after school, digging out the lagoon, worming at low tide? So that is Cliff describing her town with which she had such a loving relationship that she wrote about it more than she wrote about Greece, more than she wrote about any other place. At the same time, she had felt an outsider here, which is something writers often feel, and so it was a kind of push-me-pull-you feeling that maybe some people do identify with in terms of how they feel about their families or about their hometowns. Nadia, thank you again for talking to us here today at Clamour Community Radio and for all your lovely readings of Charmian's work. And uh, I look forward to hearing the next chapter in Charmian Cliff's story. Thanks, Candy. For more KCR features, check out our catalogue of KCR podcasts at kcr.org.au.